If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. What's up, family? Your boy Dave with BWR here. Wanted to let y'all know about what we have going on April 21st. We're doing the Renaissance Mixer again. Yes, sir. We're bringing it back. Uh, last year, we tried to do this. The COVID shut us down, but we're bringing the party back. Having the Renaissance Mixer here in Dallas, we're partnering up with CK Creative Studio, a luxury Black-owned co-working space out here in the Design District to bring together entrepreneurs and professionals from all across the DFW, get us together in one room so we can start making these business connections and much more. We're going to have live music, drinks, food and much much more uh it's gonna be a great time tickets are only five dollars for the time being five dollars so y'all make sure to hurry up sign up uh we'll see y'all there wednesday april 21st at 7 p.m ck creative studios the renaissance mixer it's up baby peace Have you been thinking about starting a podcast, but you don't know exactly where to get started? Maybe you don't know exactly what equipment you should buy or who you should go through with the hosting platforms. Well, good news. I created a course just for you. It'll be showing you how to make the fewest mistakes possible on your podcasting journey. It's called the Podcasters Playbook, and it's a total masterclass taught by me, showing you all the techniques and tricks that we use behind the scenes of the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Swipe up now, click the link in the show notes so you can purchase the Podcasters Playbook. What's up, y'all? This is your boy David with Black Wealth Renaissance. And I'm here today to tell you guys about Anchor. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it's the best place to make a podcast. Anchor is a free app that has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast straight from your phone. Anchor also distributes your podcast across all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. You can also make money on your podcast with Anchor with no minimum listenership. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're looking to get started on your own podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. Do you know the rules of the game? Yeah. You know the rules of the game? I don't care what color. Can you make me a hundred million? Let's talk money. Can you make me that? If you can't make me that, I won't talk to you. I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my lot unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper. All I know is run money marathon. Do five years of this and be a millionaire and go on do what I want to do. Have kids, go live my chip and joy in the game's life out here in Texas or struggle for next week. The choice is yours. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Our goal of this podcast is to normalize black wealth and share helpful resources and tips we believe will be useful in attaining and maintaining generational wealth. Please feel free to rate and comment on our podcast. We would love to hear all feedback you have. 
Now, enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Your boy, David Bellard, one-fourth of the Black Wealth Renaissance. Check it out with my co-host, Jalen. How you feeling, my brother? What's good? What's good? What's good? It's your boy, Jalen, man. Another quarter of the Black Wealth Renaissance checking in. Feeling good, feeling great, man. It's a Friday. We got a brother that's very, very, he dropping knowledge, man. We got an in-house guest, as y'all can see. So look, the energy crazy. I'm loving it, man. Yeah, man. This has already been a great conversation we have been having before this podcast. So we already know this is about to be a dope-ass episode. So before I get to introducing my brother, I do want to ask everybody, if you're watching or listening, like, subscribe, comment, rate, review. Give us some feedback on how we doing with this. We love to hear from y'all. But yeah, now I got to introduce my brother, man. So y'all, we got a good brother out of, he out here in the DFW, originally from Chicago. He's killing it in the trucking industry. He currently works as an investigator, private investigator. <laughs> Do a little bit of investigation. Little, little, little investigation. He works as an investigator and he's helping people stay compliant in the trucking industry. Most importantly, that's one of the biggest things that I'm glad my brother reached out to us so we could really get this information out there. He's been in the trucking industry for over 10 years and he's helping our people stay there, not just buy a truck and get there. So I want to introduce my brother, Eric Ball. Eric, how you living? I'm great. I'm great, man. Appreciate you guys for having me on this, uh, on this uh, platform with you guys. So we'd be able to educate the people. Thanks, man. We appreciate you coming on, my dog, as always, man. This is, like I said, this is going to be a special one, y'all. We was having a dope conversation before this. So Eric, bro, to kick this thing off, as we always do, we just want to ask you, like, what was your start into entrepreneurship? My start came watching my father, my stepfather. He raised me. He started in a car business where, you know, you selling used cars. Then from there, he got into real estate. Then my mom got into daycare. So just over the years of me seeing them hustle and seeing them start, you know, businesses without even having a high school diploma, you know, it just pushed me and showed me, you know, close up and firsthand that hard work pays off, especially if you bet on yourself and believe in yourself. Mm, that's powerful. And what was your first entrepreneur endeavor? What was your first taste and what got you started? Oh, man, I was, as a shorty, man, I was, I was like a little hustler because that's all I seen. I remember, you know, saying, uh, you know, buying my first car and turning around and, and, you know, flipping it, you know, a used car. You know, you go buy a used car for five, six hundred, then you turn around, you sell it for a thousand. You look up, shit, that's a quick four, five hundred dollar profit. So, you know, you 16, 17 years old, you're doing stuff like that. I mean, you look up in one month, you didn't make, you know, two, three grand. You got the average, you know, high school kid, you know, they go out, they may work at McDonald's or some more. $7.25 an hour, eight. So when you're able to just do that, I mean, that was like a easy, quick little hustle. You can go to a public auction and bid on a car, you know, for less than $1,000, turn around and sell it above what you paid, throw an extra $500 or above what you paid, and boom, that go a quick $500 you done made in your pocket. Hey, man, and that's, that's a good hustle. And that's a hustle that I think a lot of people kind of sleep on. My cousin, he actually got his start like that. And he now has a full-blown car dealership, but that's the same thing he was doing, man. He started off washing cars, then he just went into the flipping. And I saw him work his way up and I was just like, damn, man, it's really not that hard. It's not. You know, a lot of people don't even really talk about the used car, you know, business or whatnot. You know, it's fairly cheap to get in. You can party partner with two and three people if you just want to really come out a couple of hundred dollars. Other than that, you can 
all you kind of need is like a little storefront that get approved by the state saying that you can, you know, sell cars out of that location. Spend about maybe fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars getting all your information, you know, to get started and then, you know, get insurance and stuff like that. Then after that, you have access to the public auction. You got access to the dealer's auction and stuff like that. And boom, you can go in as low as $5,000 and go get you two, three cars. And then you turn around and you go get a car for, you know, two cars for, or three cars for $1,500 a pop. That's $4,500. You know, you turn around, you look up, you may make anywhere between seven to $1,000 per car, mm-hmm. 5000 And the best part about it, like whenever you first started out, whenever you was doing this, it wasn't like you went and you had to get all that stuff at first. You just was getting cars. Legally, you can sell a couple cars first before you have to go and get all that stuff, correct? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can sell a couple of cars. You know, most states, they allow you to sell up to like five cars. And after that, you're supposed to actually have a dealer's license. But it's ways around it. (laughs) It's ways around it. (laughs) So, yeah. So you started off with your car entrepreneurship. What was the next step for you? How did you navigate and move and pivot from that? Well, I ended up, you know, going to college when I, you know, getting a degree. And then from there, I ended up getting a nine to five. And uh, I remember growing up, my mom always talked about saving, 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 saving. Right. And I came on in my career early on at 22 years old. And I remember, you know, with me working up, I think I saved maybe 20 grand. I had a couple of situations that went on within my family where I had to help the family out. And then I blew through that money. And so I came back around. And when I came back around from those two, you know, situations that had happened in my family, but thank God I was able to help them out. And so I looked up, I maybe had maybe two grand in my account. And so I went to a business meeting one day with a mentor of mine. And and in that meeting, it was like they offered me to be a part of an investment deal. And all I needed was like 30 grand. And at that time, I didn't even have 30 grand. I'm like 23 years old. I didn't have that type of bread. And I was like, man, like I felt real little at the time. So I'm like, okay, I got to make the best of my opportunity. And my opportunity was I got a nine to five where I can down and got unlimited overtime. And I'm about to just work, 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 and work. Where I looked up and a year and a half, I had saved over six figures. But I was very disciplined. Like, for instance, I made sure where I live. It was nice, but it wasn't like the most, you know, the greatest, you know, apartment complex. But coming from the hood, it was better than where I come from. So I really didn't look at the niceness of it. I looked at it like, okay, it ain't like people selling drugs or people robbing, shooting and killing in this area. So I'm going to go ahead and still, I don't have roaches or rats, so I'm cool. So the rent was real cheap. I wanted it to be real cheap so I can save. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, I didn't eat out like I didn't eat out. I didn't go out. Nothing. So for like. Now, a year and a half, two years, I literally just worked like 80, 90 hours, but I was focused and I saved over like six figures, you know. From there, I was like, never again when I'm ever sitting at a table and somebody say, hey, you want to invest, you know, and all you need is 30,000, 40,000, 50,000. I was like, I would never be able to not, you know, interact in those type conversations again. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, this is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludacris. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. So 
after you had that conversation with people, I would like to dive more into their mentality with it. Like, because people here, like, man, you ain't do nothing. You just, you was living below your means like that. You went save six figures. Like, whenever you were going through that process, like, how did you stay disciplined in that? Because I know once you start seeing that bank account grow, a lot of people, they'll start losing sight of that vision. So how did you stay in that? Man, honestly, it was one of them things like, okay, I'm like, man, every three months, I want to say 30000 So that was my thought process, right? Mm-hmm. So when I was actually saving the 30000 in a month, you know, a month and a half, two months, I was like, man, this is dope. You know what I'm saying? So anytime I even thought about buying something, right? Let's say if I wanted to go buy me some Gucci shoes or something, it's $1,000. Just the mere fact that, that I thought about it, I literally took that money and I threw it in the savings account. And it's like, if I had the thought, if the thought came in my head to go do it, and I literally took that money and I threw it in the savings account because it was one of the things that I wanted to throw it in the savings account because realistically, before I was that trying to be that disciplined, I would have took that money and I would have spent it to buy those products, you know what I'm saying, that I really didn't need. So it was just one of the things, if the thought came, I took the money and I threw it in the savings account. Now that's powerful. That's powerful to where you can discipline yourself and you come across and be like, nah, man, I don't need that. And I know a lot of times, sometimes, you know, stuff happen in life. You might have a messed up day, a, a fucked up day where you're like, you know what? I just, everything just going wrong. I'm about to go treat myself. Let me go buy these Gucci shoes or let me go do this and all of that. How'd you keep yourself focused even on like some of those bad days? Because we all have that retail therapy sometimes that we just, I'm just going to go treat myself. Family, family, man. You know, my family can rely on me and I can literally just go touch, you know, money and just help my family. You know what I'm saying? Like that literally, literally just kept me super disciplined. Like I don't live my life just, you know, based on like my immediate household. What I mean by that, my daughter, you know, my wife and myself, I base my life based around family from my grandmother to my mother, my sister, my brother, my nieces and my nephews. And I'm like, if I'm literally, literally trying to take care and help a big old village, you know, I got to make sure that I stay on top of my game, you know what I'm saying? And so that's what really, really kept me, you know, disciplined. And, you know, to know that I had the funds when two situations occurred in my family where I was able to help and I was able to afford to help my family, man, that was like one of the most rewarding feelings ever. So like when I look up and the way I live now, I tell a person if I want to, I can go and I can go get that high dollar car, but I don't really do it because I look at my family, you know what I'm saying? My brother's kids, you know, they kids. So, you know, my cousins who more like brothers to me and they kids. And that's just how I live, you know? Family is a major piece. That's one of the strongest motivators. I know we ask people sometimes like what their why is. I know that's a strong motivator for it should be anybody like, you need something to ground you, especially like whenever you look in that paper coming in and being like, I could spend it on myself. That's major. Growing up in on the projects, right? I remember when, uh, cause I kind of had like a selfish mindset as a kid, you know, of course, you know, you want to keep up with the Joneses. You want the latest Jordans and all that. And so uh, my mom, she used to show me how she didn't have like brawls. She used to show me how she struggled to give me, you know, the latest kicks or something like that, right? And I remember she would give me all her bills and then she would give me her work check. And then I barely $200 was left. And I'm like eight, nine years old, you know what I'm saying? But she would still make a way whereas she was, she was getting those shoes. So, you know, growing up, yes, I mean, my parents, they ain't always just have early on. They really, really started gaining 
wealth when I'm also got like in college, you know what I'm saying? I'm out the house, you know, so, but uh, early on it was a struggle, you know? So when I look at that as well, you know, it's like my mom, you know, she was disciplined. She could have been that mother that put her kids on the back burner, made sure that her kids didn't have. So I definitely want to return the favor now that I'm able to actually, you know what I'm saying, go out and work hard and look out for her like she did me. Yeah. So, Eric, man, I want to walk further into your story. So you saved up all this money. What was the next play? Like, man, honestly, I had got addicted to just saving money. It was literally just coming in my head. I want to, man, I want to say 10,000 this week. What I'm going to do to save 10,000? And only thing I had was just my regular job, you know? And I used to tell people that if I didn't have my job and my job didn't pay great money, hey, I would have went out and I would have probably got a second job. But at the time, I mean, I was just saving money and I didn't know what to do with it. And then finally, right, I went back to my roots and my roots was cars. So, and I was doing it as a kid. So I ended up getting introduced to one of my business partners, which was an Asian guy. He didn't know much about the car industry, but he had a love for cars. You know, he always bought exotic cars and stuff. So I knew a lot about the industry. So he had a location and all that. And so we ended up coming together to collaborate, you know, doing a collaboration. And he taught me a lot about investing and business or whatnot from a foreigner standpoint. You know, coming from the African-American community, we don't get taught some of the stuff that this guy actually taught me firsthand. Business, you know, still to this day, he more like a big brother. You know, he's an older guy. You know, he's been self-employed since he was a kid. So Frank and I, we ended up partnering together. We was carrying about 20 to 30 cars, you know what I'm saying, on a lot together. And so what happened with me being busy working a nine to five, Frank had multiple businesses going. I trusted some friends or whatnot to run it, kind of find out friends were stealing, Damn. you know, from the company. You know, I'm big on customer service. So when my customers was coming back and they was complaining about like, hey, I put down a $1,500 down payment. I should be done paying for this car. But then I look at the books, the books showing that they owe $500. And then I end up finding out on the front end, the $1,500 down payment, my employees, they didn't actually put down, they didn't, yeah, in the books, they put down a thousand and stole five. So I was looking up, you know, we look up, we like, man, the people that work for us, they stealing so much money, they making more money than us. In addition to that, you know, I could have kept it open, but at the same time, I felt bad because I'm big on customer service. My name is everything. And the fact that they was making my name look bad and I couldn't be there physically to actually run it, we ended up just closing it down. So I just kind of went back to just nickel and dime. And what I mean by that is I just buy two and three cars. And then that way, you know, I just sell them on my spare time versus depending on somebody else to run a lot. Man, that story right there, bro. I know that shit probably like just pissed you off, but- I'm pretty sure it was a great learning lesson for you too, because you learned that, you know, sometimes you can't put just friends in certain positions just because they're your friends, just because they're the homie. Sometimes you can't put them in certain positions. And I kind of want to ask you though, my brother, I got to know, what kind of job were you doing where you was just making 10 bands a damn week, bro? <laughs> he said, what kind of job you was doing? You making 10 bands a week. Some of everything, man. I was doing a lot of like, Private security. I was doing, uh, you know, my regular nine to five. Overtime. I was doing that a lot of overtime. We were getting paid great money on overtime, you know, unlimited overtime, you know. In addition to that, I just always had a lot of like little side hustles and stuff, you know. 
that I was doing on the side as well. So I was anything, I wasn't doing nothing illegal, but anything to help, you know, help me attain my goal, I was making it happen. I was making it happen. In other words, you were sacrificing your free time too, though, right? Oh, like, man. yeah, I ain't had know, no life. A lot of people, they, they <laughs> 20, a lot of like 22 to 29, man, I didn't go out. I didn't even know Dallas. I didn't know the city. I ain't going nowhere. Hey, every time I go meet up with the homies and I could be there for like 10 minutes and somebody hit me on the phone like, yo, hey, you want to come and work four hours and you can make $1,000? I'm like, hell yeah, I'm gone. I tell the homies like, see you. <laughs> hey, but a lot of people, they wouldn't be thinking like that. You know, a lot of people would be like, just making $10,000 a week. He got to be in sales or something like that. Right. They don't understand sometimes the sacrifice. I'm pretty sure you wasn't even really sleeping like that. If you was just getting it out the mud like that. Nope. Like you got to make some of those sacrifices, though, to hit those goals and really get to where you want to get. And that was really just the whole point I was just trying to get to oh, yeah. and just trying to drive home right there. Sacrifice, man, is the key. You sacrifice, you know what I'm saying, a year or two, you look up for the rest of your life. You can be set. Mm. Now, that's powerful. So, Eric, my brother, now I want to keep moving with it. So you did the car lot. That didn't work out exactly the way as planned. When did the trucking come into play for you? The trucking came in play was I got sent to go to a trucking school where you learn the law, regulations, how to inspect trucks, everything that the federal government require you to know as far as, you know, uh, law, inspecting trucks, regulation, all that. So I ended up going to a school. I went to the school, and when I went, me being a city kid, I didn't too much care to be there. And in addition to that, it wasn't a lot of, you know, brothers, you know what I'm saying, that was a part of that, you know, the industry or whatnot. So I definitely, I'm like, man, I remember being in class, and people would be like, yeah, that truck tractor. And I'm like, what the hell is a truck tractor? So I'm Googling on my phone, truck tractor, you know what I'm saying? And they'd be like, yeah, that semi-trailer or that reef or that flatbed. I'm like, what is a flatbed? So I Google on my phone, flatbed. Because I didn't want to look like an idiot raising my hand in class like, yo, what is a flatbed? You know what I'm saying? So I'm literally Googling terms. And so what made it interesting is because I'm real big on learning. So I'm like, I found myself like, glued in because I'm learning, you know what I'm saying? Like it's stimulating my mind. And then from there, I just literally just locked in. Like, man, I felt like a kid in preschool again, like learning your ABCs and stuff because I did not know this information. So it made me lock in. It made me wanted to know something that I didn't have a clue about, you know what I'm saying? The way that I live life, the way that I was raised, don't be afraid of brand new stuff. You know, when you look at your life, right, every age, right, there's like a chapter in your book of life. If you done done the same stuff age 22, 23, 24, you ain't growing. So when I looked at that, right, during that age, you know, during that year, I looked at it like, man, this is something that I ain't never been exposed to. I never knew. So at minimum, I can add this to my arsenal of stuff that I'm learning and that I can actually one day potentially tell my nephews or something, hey, I know about this. I know about that. So that's how I look at life. And this class you went to, this was something you signed up for yourself or this was like continuing education for work type stuff? It was continuing education for work. Hey, so, yeah. I love it. So you took knowledge took a, that you had to get for your job right. and then leveraged it for yourself. Right. Mm. And leverage it. I mean, I leverage it for the people, be honest with you. <laughs> when I seen that, we lack knowledge. <laughs> but nah, still, like, I'm just saying, like, because 
whenever we always looking at trying to like find our way in the entrepreneurship or like finding our way in business, we think we have to go outside of everything that we already know and everything that we do. Whereas like your nine to five can oftentimes provide you with the tools and resources to get away from your nine to five. Yes, yes, yes. You know, I got several foreigner homies. You know, I got a good, good friend of mine. He owned a convenience store for years, you know, and uh, he started off in 7-Eleven as a regular store clerk. And then he went to the shift manager. Then he went to the store manager underneath the owner. And he learned everything about running 7-Eleven. He learned who they order their stuff, how you order your stuff, how you keep up with, you know what I'm saying, payroll. He learned everything, right? He did that for like five years. And now this guy literally owns his own convenience store. He's been in business since 2006. Where he make down to 30 bands a month off a convenience store. What he did was he went in, he worked at nine to five, and he treated the nine to five with a purpose. You know, some people, it's like, y'all, they want to be entrepreneurs. But then when you go to your nine to five, all you do is complain. Mm. That's all you do is complain. So when it comes to you really, really grinding out being an entrepreneur, you're going to do the same thing anyway. You're going to complain. Because work acting is work acting no matter where it's at. Well, even when I play sports, I gave it 110%. When I go work a nine to five, I get 110%. When I, you know, saying as an entrepreneur, I give 110%. So that's that either you got that in you or you don't, point blank, period. Mm. So since you say, you know, either you got it in you don't, do you think there's a way like to change that to develop a better work ethic? Yes. One, you know, you can read, you know, books and material, stuff like that. You surround yourself around a group of people that's actually out here doing it that can inspire you, push you, motivate you. Grab yourself an accountability partner or a mentor, you know. But if you're going to get those particular people in your life, you got to be up for, you know, criticism. And when somebody criticizes you, you got to be able to take it. You can't be sent back. You can't take it personal. Yeah, because most people that's out here, man, that want to see you win, they're going to knock on your door and they're going to say, yo, you should do this this way. Oh, you know, you shouldn't do this or do that. Anytime somebody give me what I call positive feedback or, you know, even if they don't know me, you know, on social media, they DM me and say, yo, I ain't like what you've done. This, this and that. For one, guess what? You didn't even have to take time out of your day to even tell me mm -hmm. what you just told me. So that alone, I'm going to give you brownie points. I'm going to be like, well, let me tell you something. You know, God do use people to basically grab your attention. And first thing I get to stand in my head, maybe God used this person to grab my attention. I like that. It's really a perspective thing when it comes down to it. Like if you going, like you saying, if you at your nine to five, all you do is complain. All you looking for is the bad. It's going to be the same thing. It's all about the way you come at it. I wanted to just ask, like, did you go out and get you a truck after learning and acquiring all this knowledge? Or after you went to school, what was the next step in that industry? Uh, next step I wanted to do, I just really, really just wanted to learn it. So for years, I literally just soaked up knowledge, constantly doing continual education, working with people that have been in the industry longer than me. You know what I'm saying? That was in my field of work, getting underneath them, just constantly learning and learning and learning. Today, I still learn it, learning every day. In addition to that, I had access to what I call the gurus. What I mean by the gurus was people that was literally out there driving these trucks, turning these wheels, been in the industry 20 or 30 years. So when I'm out there, I'm stopping and I'm dealing with owners that own, you know what I'm saying, 10, 20 trucks, you know, they've been in the industry for 30 years. So I'm getting firsthand experience. So what I mean by that is when I'm out there, I'm, I'm actually interviewing them and they don't even understand. I'm interviewing them for free. Like, hey, man, so 
how long have you been in the industry? You know what I'm saying? What you think about the industry, right? Uh, how did you be, you know, become successful in the industry? So I'm constantly picking people's brains for free. And it's people that's literally firsthand in the industry, right? And then they started giving me their number and they started basically saying, young brother, I like what you're doing. You know, you don't understand, like learn your trade. Your trade is a gold mine. Everybody want to be affiliated or know somebody like you. It's not too many brothers that do what you do. Take it serious and stuff like that. So it became even more, more motivating to hear people that I was dealing with, you know what I'm saying? Through my nine to five, motivated me to really learn in my craft. And so, of course, I just stayed motivated and stayed learning and learning and learning to get to where I'm at now. So you, you learned this. When did you go ahead and purchase your first truck? Actually, uh, I did everything for my little brother. My little brother wanted to get into the trucking industry. He was driving for a company. He came to me. So for years, I, uh, for about a good year, I threw him off. I was like, man, I don't think my little brother ready. You know what I'm saying? For that. So he, bro, I'm ready. I'm ready. So he did his homework. And when he did his research, I knew he was serious because I already knew the information that he went out of research. And so I did it knowing that I didn't really have no love to be in the industry as an owner because I seen the high fines and penalties and how the quickest people was getting into the industry, they was basically, you know, saying they was getting booted out because of fines and penalties and because they wasn't keeping up with the regulation and standard compliance. And so, you know, I just told my little brother, like, look, I'm going to invest in you because, you know, like I tell you, I'm big on family. So I want to see my little brother win. So from there, I, you know, I basically opened up the company. I mean, uh, let him open up the company and I invested in it and just kind of teaching him from the compliance side. And I gave him a few, you know, uh, not a few dollars, but I gave him a nice significant chunk amount of money, which if I would have known what I knew as far as when it came to actually entering into the industry, I would have never done what I did. But it was a learning experience. Mm. Can you go a little bit deeper into that? What you mean? Like if you'd have known what you'd have known, you wouldn't have did what you did? Well, I went out and I cashed out. When you spend like, you know, over 50 bands. On a truck and trailer, you know, you cashing out on that. That was bad. That was really, really bad. You know, you capital. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it didn't hurt me in anything like that financially, but it's just one of them things that you use other people's money to make money, just point blank, period. And so what happened was in real estate as an investor, so I started noticing how real estate and trucks was so similar. I was like, man, all I got to do is do what I did with real estate and use other people's money. You know what I'm saying? And and had this pay for itself instead of me using my own money, you know, and because when you look up, right, sometimes it's harder depending on the economy to get your money back. And then two, worst case scenario, all you got to do is file bankruptcy. As long as you got your capital, you good. <laughs> you know, you got your money, you good. And that was my thought process. Yeah. You know, you live and learn. I end up, you know, saying uh, getting my money back, you know, over time. Yeah. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So I do want to walk it back because you mentioned real estate. I kind of figured that came after the trucking part of your journey, but your trucking journey is a little bit different than I thought originally, too. Because the way I was thinking, I was thinking traditionally how most people do it. They get the truck, they get the CDL, they drive it themselves, but you did it with your brother. So can we walk it back though before that and get into a little bit of your real estate journey? Like when did that start for you? Right after the cars. So my best friend, well, right after the cars, one of my frat brothers hit me up. He said, yo, I got this guy out of Atlanta. He got this real estate, you know what I'm saying? Like organization of 
company or whatnot. And, you know, he basically teaching people how to come in as investors. They do everything for you, this, this, and that. And so I'm like, all right, cool. You know, I'll log on to some of his Zoom calls, listen to him. And so, you know, the guy kind of require you to get educated before he would allow you to invest. And so, but he ended up gravitating to me or whatnot. And so what I ended up learning was once he seen my finances, he wanted to immediately have me jumping in investing because he seen my credit score and then he seen that I, you know, that I had capital. So he didn't disregard it that his initial approach was you and you need to learn my system before I allow you to invest. So now he like, oh man, this guy got a, you know, 800 credit score, six figures. And no, I, hey, come on, I want you to invest. And so he turned me on to a location. The property was actually in Chicago. Thank, it was a suburb of Chicago. Thank God I knew about the area. So he was like, yo, the property costs, you know, it's 25 grand. And, you know, basically you drop the 25 grand, you get your bread back in two to three weeks or whatnot. No, no. Yeah, yeah. He said you'll get your bread back in two to three weeks, right? Like that. And so. Like some transactional funding type? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Something like that. No, he said the property was 43000 but I needed to put down 25000 to secure the property or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So I gave him the twenty five grand. I got the money back in like two to three weeks. And so when I got it back, I'm like, okay. It's dope. So then we turned around. And so we basically financed the property or whatnot. We did the hard money loan or whatnot. So I was just literally following this guy, Lee. I was uneducated about real estate. But my childhood friend had been telling me like, yo, he's been in real estate, you know, as a wholesale. And he's just been doing his thing out in the line of area himself. So, but, you know, you know how people say, you know, do business with friends and family and all that, right? So I, he used to always try to get me to do business with him. But I used to be like, man, I didn't want to mix that company, right? But now today, I tell you right now, you do not do business with somebody you ain't never been to their house and you ain't never ate in their house. If you ain't got access to their home and their family, don't do business with them. You end up like how I almost end up. And I'm about to explain it. And so I turned around. The guy, basically, he sold me the property, right, for $43,000. i am not knowing, right? So he used my money to secure it, sold it to me for $43,000, gained $18,000 in profit without me even knowing this, you know what I'm saying? And so now it come time for him to actually go out to the property, start rehabbing the property and all that. So he was doing comps and he was stealing from the comps. So like, for instance, we had a construction budget, right? And the construction budget was like, I think it was like 40,000, right? To rehab this house. And so, and when you look at the market, the house was going for like 180, right? And so I'm like, cool. So if I got it for 43000 40 in it, 180 so that's essentially, that'd be about $80,000 profit, you know, give or take, walk away about seventy, right? So that was my thought process, right? So the guy, he turned around, he started peeling from the comps. So he would submit documents showing that, hey, I need 10000 for this, and this is the reason why. And so you'll look up, and he'll get the $10,000, but he never really used the money or nothing. So after he... He then basically just took all the money out of the comps. He just disappeared. So I'm left with this property. And I'm like, what the hell? And now, you know, I didn't realize that he didn't down and stole all the damn construction money. So I'm definitely like, you know, now I'm nervous. All right, who I call? I call my boy. You know, that been in real estate, the friend that people say you don't do business with because they friends. And he literally walked me through the process Help me save the property. Help me walk away, whereas I didn't lose nothing, and I ended up making fifty thousand off that deal. Damn. Like how he 
how did you turn that situation around? Cause uh, a little bit with the when you were saying the comps, like you would mean like he was using the comparable properties in the area to like get you to put money up. Basically, right. What happened is if I'm wording them right, because I'm not the real estate guru, yeah. <laughs> but like you get like a rehab budget, right? Mm-hmm. And based on what the guy was explaining it, you have to submit to the actually hard money loan lender, like documents showing that, hey, it's going to cost me 10000 to do the living room, the kitchen. So, and then typically what they do is they send $10,000 worth of materials. You know, you know, you go to Home Depot and you go and you say, I'm going to put this type of paint in here. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. So you're getting all that information. So you send it over to the hard money loan, then they release a check. And so when they release a check, he's not doing that work. Yeah. So he's not doing that work. Damn. And so, and then he's telling me that, you know, he's he just taking stuff. the money and running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's just leading me on. He's telling me just whatever he wanted me to tell him. And I'm believing him because, you know, somebody turned me on to him. And I just didn't think somebody had just lie and just do you like that. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, I reached out to my boy and I let him know what I had going on. And so when I reached out to my boy, he ended up like, yo, this is what we can do. We can go in. And then because the comps are so high, you can just kind of put it on the market. You can just sell it at this. Somebody may end up buying it. And then you can pay back all the loan money and this, this, and that. So we put it on the market for like a higher price. And I think it was like 140 or something like that. And so somebody ended up buying it. And they was cool with it because the way they looked at it was they had a little room to wiggle, you know what I'm saying, to work with. In addition to that, they ended up making a house better than what it is. And they put it on the market for a lot higher than what it was originally going for, for the 180. So they end up winning as well, you know what I'm saying? But thank God for my boy, yeah. you know what I'm saying? He really, really saved me with that deal. And from that point forward, in addition to that, a whole bunch of legal stuff came, you know, big ups to some of my FBI connects. I reached out to them and they kind of told me that they had attorneys that was in on it. And sure enough, it was the attorney was in on it as well. So when I ended up confronting the attorney about the document, how she drew it up, right? And I ended up saying some law law enforcement terms to her. She immediately started crying and was like, I would change the paperwork. I'm sorry. I didn't know these guys was like that. And I'm like, yes, you did. And so I threatened to basically, you know, file charges with the feds where she would have lost her license to be an attorney. So then that's when I realized like, damn, you got attorneys, they be in on like real estate fraud and, you know, mortgage fraud and scams. So, and it's like, in most people, when you look at attorneys, or you look at people that's clean cut suit wearing person, you think that they on the up and up. So one thing that I realized, right, is that those people are the ones that I'm look at closely. The ones that well spoken, wearing the suits and all that, you know what I'm saying? Because they look apart. They look apart, you know what I'm saying? And but they be hiding behind a corruption. I'm sorry, that first deal went that way, but still like it was a lesson in it. But and that was you said prior to the trucking industry. Yeah, so that was- Hey, you got the cars, then you, then I go to real estate, and then even after real estate. So after that, man, my partner, you know, he got me out of that situation. And then and from there, I was like, I, I would never do business with somebody unless I really, really know them, you know what I'm saying? Or I'm going to get to know them, get to know them. Like, I got to be able to walk in your house and sit at your table. And that's my motto. If I can't walk in your house and sit at your table, why well, look like, you know, giving you six bands to do an investment deal, which you know. No, because I need to be able to come to your home and know, like that guy, I didn't even know where he, he lived. from Adam. Yeah. And it's like, you know, come to find out the address he gave me where he lived. When I end up looking it up, it was his land. <laughs> I was like, golly, like, what are you thinking? You know what I'm saying? 
you know, I was so enticed about well-spoken, well-dressed. You know, this guy talking about how he a millionaire, he do this, he do that. So I got caught up on that, on the hype. Now it's like, that don't move me. Cause you say you got millions of dollars. That do not move me at all. Yeah. Hey man, lessons, bro. We ended up getting scammed when we was trying to get into real estate too, my brother. It wasn't like bands, but it was, it was three, three, like thirty five hundred. Yeah, it was, it was enough. <laughs> Something that we didn't. Time, I ain't had it to lose at the time, but I lost it. <laughs> right, right, exactly. right, 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 right. But hey, it is what it is. Like it's always a lesson. Have you been thinking about starting a podcast, but you don't know exactly where to get started? Maybe you don't know exactly what equipment you should buy or who you should go through with the hosting platforms. Well, good news. I created a course just for you. It'll be showing you how to make the fewest mistakes possible on your podcasting journey. It's called the Podcasters Playbook, and it's a total masterclass taught by me, showing you all the techniques and tricks that we use behind the scenes of the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Swipe up now. Click the link in the show notes so you can purchase the podcast's playbook. So now I do want to get more back into the truck. And I'm sorry, I wanted to do that quick segue just because I, I really like people to see people's progression through journeys whenever we had these podcasts. So your brother, you helped him get the truck. You got the truck on the road. You gained the knowledge about the compliance and all that. So like, how was that that initial venture? Like, how did that all work out? Okay. Well, with me gaining the knowledge about the compliance and stuff, so I was able to keep my brother going, you know what I'm saying? I was able to keep him from, you know what I'm saying, experiencing stuff that new owners and stuff usually experience in the trucking industry from not being educated. So going in from an actually business standpoint, my little brother was successful at it. From the business side, uh, on forward from the compliance side, he was successful at it because he understood how to read EODs. He understood how to, you know what I'm saying, how to calculate his time and all that. He understood, you know, the correct paperwork that you needed to have. He understood what you needed to have on your application, you know, how you interview somebody. Almost basically how to, you know, run the back office of a trucking company. And so we went in unknowing that versus most people go in, when I say most, down in 95 plus percent people get into trucking, they go in not knowing that at all. And so that's why it was a win-win for my little brother. And then the more and more, he was out there, more people he was meeting, more and more people I started meeting. I'll go to conference and stuff. And I realized that as an African-American community of us getting in trucking, we really, really lacked the knowledge of compliance. We lacked that, you know what I'm saying? And one of the reasons why we lacked that, because it's not pretty. Most of the people that write compliance or write the law, they hold a PhD. Most people that get in trucking, they barely have an eighth grade learning, eighth grade education, I mean. And because of that, you know, I was like, man, I got to figure out a way that I can, you know, saying help the people stay alive and trucking because, you know, especially on social media, you start seeing a lot of people pushing, go get trucks, go get trucks, go get trucks. But it's like people scaling buying trucks, but they're not scaling their level of education on how to run a company, mm-hmm. stay in compliance and stuff like that. And, you know, when you look at FMCSA, like I say, most of them people that's writing the laws, they are educated people. Most of the people that's getting in, they not educated people. Mm. And I got one question, like, so we're talking about the compliance and everything for someone who maybe who just got started or they've been in it for a while. What's some of the biggest mistakes you see some of these people making whenever they first getting into this industry? Oh, man, you have people that literally get into the industry, right? 
and they don't even know what type of application that they have to even have on file and that will have to be on the application. Something as simple as that. Mm. Can they you, hire somebody. Can you go a little bit deeper into that? Okay. You know, what an application that you got to have on file, right? You got to ask for certain information. You got to ask for at least three years of their employer, right? They last a previous employer, at least three years of that, three years of their actual uh, driving history with their violations and stuff. And then, of course, you know, you got your standard, you know, their previous residencies and stuff like that. So once you obtain the last three years of their employers, you have so many days within the day that you got that application where you have to reach out to those employers and you have to make an attempt, you know, give it, and they say great fate, but it don't necessarily say three attempts, but they say great fate within a 30 day period. So I tell people three attempts showing that you reached out to them. So you can get information about that particular driver that you're hiring and you want to get like their safety performance history from their previous company. And you mentioned before that you said FMCSA. I want people to know who that is because I don't know what the acronym is. So who is FMCSA? FMCSA, that's the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Alliance. Those are the people that actually regulate trucking. They write the laws. They do everything. Anything to do with trucking, the laws, the regulations, everything. You get your DOT, all that US DOT yeah. number, you get your authority, you do everything through FMCSA. And yeah, that's why I guess kind of the next question that I had for you was like for somebody that is just getting started or somebody that would want to get into this industry, like what would be some of the steps that they would take to make sure that they're getting everything lined up correctly and they remain in compliance? The biggest steps, if you want to know what those large companies do, they end up finding people like myself or companies that specialize in compliance. They can keep them, you know, saying in compliance because there's no way in heck that you go on. Like if you're running a trucking company, right? You got one truck and just doing the back office, that's like a whole job by itself. You know, the compliance, the back office, that's a whole job by itself. That ain't even talking about, you know, you booking your own loads. That ain't even talking about you trying to manage your drivers while they're out there on, on the road and you looking at EODs and all that. That's like literally- EOD. EOD is an electronic logging device. That's basically when you're out there and you're on the road driving, you have a certain amount of time that you are able to drive in a day. Yeah. So the trucking companies, they go to compliance people to make sure that they have their papers and all that good stuff in line. Most of the ones that want to be successful, they make people like me and my team, they best friend. Yeah, they like, hey, I need to have you on speed dial. Yeah. So... Like with the compliance, because I know we had talked about it like the other day, like you told me there's some people they losing, like they might make 20, 30 bands a month. But once they get hit with some of these fees, like you can go negative really, really quickly. Can we talk about some of these fees that you could get hit with that would actually mess up your whole business model? Example, right? You out on the road. Like I had a, actually, I'm a scenario today. I had a buddy, I uh, guess, stopped. His tire on his trailer, the inside tire, it was less than the PSIs on the sidewall. And basically it was deemed as inflated and it was out of service tire, right? And guess what? Nine times out of 10, all this guy needed to do was just air that tire up some, you know, and then he'd be back rolling. So they put him out of service. So one, with them put him out of service, right? He got a load on his truck. Now he's not going to make it to that load to deliver it on time. So nine times out of 10, that load may have to get pushed back to the next day or who, it may not be able to get delivered the next day. You know, it may get pushed back to four or five days from, you know, the day that's supposed to be delivered. So guess what? 
Now you can't even make money. You stuck on this load. The broker didn't find you because you didn't make the delivery on time. And then you didn't got fined by DOT roadside from having an inflated tire, right? And then now you got to call for roadside assistance to come out to air that tire and or change that tire. They're going to automatically bill you probably two, $300 just from coming out there. And then if they do come out there, right, and they need to change that tire, right, because they come to you and they know you need their tire, right, they're going to tax you. Oh, yeah. A tire that you can probably get for $250, you're going to probably pay $500 for. Because you needed to make that load. Yeah, yeah, you need it. You need it to move around. In addition to that, now you got this inspection report that was performed on you by DOT. They put you out of service. They put that on your company's profile. Now you got brokers laid on down the line. They don't even want to give you work. They saying, yo, you got put out of service. Your safety score is high. Now it come up time for you to actually write, renew your insurance. Your insurance see that. So now they want to charge you higher on renewal. They want to ask you for an extra down payment. Now you got a driver that worked for you. He pissed because he like, man, this could have been prevented. Or he feel like that you as an owner, you ain't done nothing to try to move this truck. They already know if they ain't delivering loads, they ain't getting paid money. You know what I'm saying? They get paid off the loads or, you know, how many miles, you know, yeah, a percent. So now they piss. So now it's potential that you could lose a driver. So it's like a domino effect. So you look up, right? That one incident can potentially cost you five, $6,000. Now on the front end, for, and made, time. for on the front end, you're going to have to probably pay, you know, about 500 bucks to have them come out and switch out that tire, right? But then later on, what people don't talk about is they don't talk about how many people may reject you later on. You may call in and to get a $2,000 load, they're paying $4 a mile. And then they tell you, oh, man, we've seen that you just recently got inspected and put out of service. Nah, now you lost out on $4 a mile, $2,000 load. So that's the stuff that don't get advertised on how important safety is. When you out there and knowing how to properly inspect your truck, knowing how to keep your paperwork up. Like you got FMTSA that have violations and fines where if you got paperwork issue, right? And just say, for instance, you started your company and you didn't even interview your driver and have him fill out an application. You just put them in the truck. You just put them in the truck, right? And all of a sudden they audit you six months later. If they want to, they can potentially fine you $1,300 a day. God Damn! A day. You for that era. Can it cap off how much they can find y'all? Nah, it- ain't no cap. Ain't no cap. Let's not talk about a fatality accident, right? Yeah. Your company made millions of dollars, right? You done made a million dollars last year. Now all of a sudden you hire this driver, boom, the driver get into a fatality accident, right? Most of these insurance policies out here, FMCSA require you have $750,000 policy, right? Most of these brokers, they require you have a million dollar policy, right? A lot of these companies like Amazon and stuff like that, they require you have a $2 million policy, right? Do you think you killing somebody was all they going to get is $2 million or a million dollars? Hell no. Nah. They're going to sue you for a lot more than that. Right, it's right. Breadwinner, especially out right, of family. Right, So guess what happened? They sue you because remind you that insurance policy you have, it cap out at a million dollars or $2 million. So now if you didn't get sued for $5 million, $6 million, that come out of you. That come out of you. So now for the rest of your life, every income tax you try to file, your return go to that family. And this all falls on the owner, no. not the driver. No, it falls on. Yeah, I mean, some of the stuff will fall on the driver too if they want to deem that you was being negligent. And you can face up to jail time. 
Yeah. You touched on another thing in that too. I always see them when we pass on, like you're driving on the interstate, those inspection places. Can you talk more about like what actually goes down for an inspection for one of these vehicles? Yeah. Okay. They pull you in, right? First and foremost, they're going to ask you for your paperwork. Your paperwork inside your binder, they're going to ask you, you know, they're going to look at your truck and trailer registration paperwork, make sure that this stuff is up to date. They're going to look at your truck and trailer inspection paperwork, make sure that the stuff is up to date and that you have the correct inspection. Because you got some people out here, they just go get a state inspection when you technically you need a federal inspection. They have a code on there that say CFR, like 390 some, you know, but it have to be that particular inspection. So it's two different type of inspections. When you go get a regular state inspection, that's not a correct inspection. So you would be held, basically, that would be two different violations. So just FYI, right? So from there, then they're going to look at your EODs. Typically, they go back seven days from the day that they stop you. They want to make sure that you're in compliance with everything within your EODs. If you got a truck and trailer number, that have to be recorded inside the EODs. You carrying a load, you got a bill of lading, that, have to, that bill of lading number have to be recorded inside the EODs. There's a bunch of prompts and stuff, right? And that stuff has to be filled out. If your bill of lading say you're going from Dallas to Houston, on your EOD, you have a two and front location. You got to have that input, right? If you don't have that input, that's a violation. Hey, I remember, I know one word that you just said, the bill of lading. Because I used to work at a port yeah. and we would mess with the fracking sand. So we had the belly dump trucks. And I remember I used to have to record that. that yeah, that's like one of the only things I remember that damn term. But I was working like night shifts and stuff over there. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of information that have to be in there, right? And the bill of lady. And then in addition to that, the ELD, that system is actually hooked up to your engine. So it's capturing data. Mm. It's capturing data, right? So... When it's captioning that data, you know, the government, they come in, they, the auditors come in, they audit your company and forbid if you was in a serious accident or something, they're going to ask for the information. So if your driver is out there and speed limit shows 60 miles per hour and that ELD is captioned that the speed limit was 60 and your driver is going 75, even though he never got stopped, right? And it's showing him at 75 and a 60, the ELD is captioning that. So now the auditors come in on the back end, they like, damn, your driver, that's all he do is speed. Another fine. Another fine. <laughs> God damn. You got to be careful with who you are in this industry. Oh, yeah. And they fines, I mean, they got fines as high as 15000 I didn't seen people literally make a million dollars and turn around and have a $250,000 fine where they paying the government monthly just to stay in business. Because they got to pay off that fine. That fine is a civil fine. Damn. Mm-hmm. So that's why I preach how important it is to educate yourself about safety and compliance. In addition to that, if you go to FMCSA website, they don't talk about scaling a company. They don't talk about buying trucks. They just talk about the rules. They just talk about the law. They talk about the law. And they know that a lot of people going to get into this industry and they're going to jump in it and they're not going to be educated. They already know, you know, the average driver got an eighth grade, you know, saying uh, education. The people that write the laws have PhDs. Come on, man. In addition to that, it's a business. At the end of the day, government is still a business. So, yeah, they're going to make it real simple, easy to get in, but they're going to make it hard to stay in, though. You mentioned something. What was the figure you said specifically? How many trucking businesses end up failing in the first few years? Uh, like 80, about 85%. They go out of business within the first two years. Like 85% of the trucking companies. 
If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At participating McDonald's. Yep. That's Jump crazy. in, you know. And nowadays, you know, social media is really blowing it up. Go get a truck. Go get a truck. Go get a truck. Go get a truck. You can make a bunch of money. You can make a, a bunch of money with a truck. Yeah. Yeah, when people tell you that they made a hundred thousand dollars in a month, right? And all they had was five trucks, that's a lie. They're talking gross. Yeah. Yeah. They're talking gross. That's a gross number. So, like for instance, I'll give you an example. There have been times where I did thirty thousand, then all I walked away with was eight. But yeah, I just had a good friend of mine that um she had uh four trucks. You good. Oh, she had four trucks that went into the shop the other day, and uh, her balance was down at nineteen thousand on four trucks. God damn! It's a big money industry, but it's, it's a lot of big boy industry, man. It's a lot of expenses associated with this industry. So yes, now I want to ask you. So, like, as a person in the trucking industry, what do you say? Like, it would be like a wise savings figure because you a saver yourself, like for those types of expenses, because you know these trucks, they going to break. Like, it's going to have some issues. You might have drivers with these fines. Like, what do you think is a good rule of thumb to save from? Yeah, folks, the cost of an overhaul of an engine. If your engine go out, it typically going to cost you between ten to 20000 to get fixed. So give or take, I always tell a person, try to have about 25 bands in a savings account for any type of, you know, situation that occur. Now, for somebody starting out that is just getting into it, how do you think they like save a certain percentage or something like that of each haul? Or like, how would you do that? Just pay yourself like an employee, pay yourself and then put everything back. So, you know, saying give or take, like I would use myself as an example. I was just pay myself $500 a week per truck. And then everything else I just put back into the company. And then from there, you just bonus yourself every quarter. You just bonus yourself. So you see what the company then done over three, four months span. And then you just pay yourself a bonus. You know, and then that way, you always stand ahead of the game. You want to stay two and three steps ahead of the game. You don't want to be out here spending all your money because, well, people got to also, they got to understand this. Every time that truck starts and moves, it's getting older. So if you made 100000 in 2020, 2021, you may make only 80000 because that truck may have to go in the shop a lot more. Mm-hmm. You may start having issues with the driver. He not, you know, coming to work or stuff like that. So every year, your truck, you're going you're gonna to depreciate your, even your income going to depreciate. So how long do you typically keep a truck? Like how long does a truck normally last? Cause we know the, depending on your haul, sometimes you got to go coast to coast. Sometimes you, you drive in like 16, 12 hours. My stepdad, he's a truck driver yeah. every week. He going to Wisconsin or somewhere. Yeah. Typically with most trucks, they say you're going to get at least a million miles. I mean, honestly, you got Are trucks, you? uh, no, a million, like, Oh, all together? All together. Oh, yeah, okay. you get like yeah. a million miles. So, you know, give or take, I just tell people that it all depends on the person themselves and the person that's driving that truck, how you service and maintenance your truck, you know, how you do to prevent the maintenance. Because I know people that, you know, they trucks and stuff, they've been riding over a million miles right now and they hadn't had to do anything to the engine, uh, anything like that. They had breakdowns, but it was nothing out of the norm. It was like the normal truck breakdowns where you're going to spend four and five, six thousand. In addition to that, shit, hey, if you ever get broke down over the road, man, just understand that you about to get taxed, especially if you're black. 
Can, and can we talk about some of those normal expenses? Because once again, I used to work at Napa and my Napa, it was a truck, like we service the truck stuff. So I know that some of the stuff is you got your boosters. You had to get the boosters, the airbags. You got some of your, uh, what is they call them damn governors and all of that other yeah. crazy stuff. Like, so what's some of the normal expenses you can expect though on just a truck working? Normal expenses are going to be your oil changes, your belts, your fluids, your tires, definitely your tires and stuff like that. Those are just like normal, you know, normal wear and tear, you know, uh, that you're going to deal with. Occasionally, you know, you have your airlines and stuff that you may have to basically fix from time to time, air pressure airlines. But them tires and stuff, you just can't really escape that stuff. You know, you look up a set of tires, just say two, four, six, eight, shit can cost you down there like, 16, almost two grand. Sheesh. But God damn. It's the cost of doing business. And I'm glad we're speaking on this because that's what people need to know if they want to get into this industry and they want to stay there because you can't come in here thinking like, and this is just a business thing in general. You can hear a business making 20, 30, $40,000 a month. The person that's running this business is not taking $40,000 and putting that shit in their pocket. You need to understand that like, it's going to be expenses associated with business. And you gonna, you got to look at your profit margin. And then even from your profit margin, you can't take all the profits and put them in your pockets. That's not a sustainable business. Right, right. And most of the time, give or take, I tell a person, for every five trucks, your take home should be about a quarter of a million for every five trucks. That should be your take home, your profit margin for every five trucks. After you paying expenses and all that, you know, saying you should walk away with what about Two to about two hundred fifty thousand dollars for every five trucks. Yep, and that's not bad. That's not bad at all. And my next question is: so you said you know if that person wants to stay in compliance, that they need to find a person like you or a compliance company. Where would they go to find this? Is like once you sign up for the industry, they like, hey, look, this is a compliance company. Go get with these people. Or is this some knowledge that they're not given? But you have to navigate and figure out, okay, this is something I need. Most of the time, they end up realizing it, right, when they first get that first audit, that new entry audit, you know what I'm saying? And then they realize that they have some deficiencies going on when they can't come into their back offices and, and actually their compliance part of it. And in addition to that, when you actually over the road, you stop meeting DOT, you stopping at these scale houses, you learn real fast that, oh, wow, there's a lot of stuff I didn't know, you know? So, and then from there, you realize that, hey, they have stuff out here that can actually help me out that deal with compliance. Even you got some DOT officers that where they would give you a heads up like, hey, man, you should look into this company or call this person. You got some of them out here, they would do that to try to help you out to stay in business. Hey, that's real, man. The DOT, that's crazy, man. I just think like my whole, this FMCSA shit busting my head because I literally thought it was just the Department of Transportation that was over the whole trucking industry. <laughs> Department of Transportation is just like a segment of it, but it's FMTSA that actually governs the uh, transportation industry. Yeah, I ain't gonna lie. I thought it was just DOTD too. I was just like, damn, man. Because I always would hear like truckers coming. Oh, man, I, I ain't my DOT number. Yeah, I ain't trying yeah. to get stopped by them, man. <laughs> hey, most people that don't want to get stopped by DOT, they don't want to get stopped because they know they ain't got their stuff together. Because if you're a company out there, right, DOT, FMCSA, they require you have an incentive program within your company. So what I mean by the incentive program is just like you have a disciplinary program, 
if somebody do something, how you going to discipline them and you're going to probably get them a fine or write them up. They want to know that, hey, you have incentive program, whereas if your driver gets stopped by DOT and they pass level one inspection, you may get $100. They pass level two, you may get 75 or level three, you may get 50 then that way it's like you motivating them to, to, to be on a stuff and take safety serious. So they want to know that you got that stuff implemented within your company. And I'm glad you brought that up. Cause that was definitely another question that I was going to ask. Like, how do you, cause some stuff is some stuff that the owner can't take care of. Like if this driver, they didn't drove, they on a load, you know, and they didn't made it like three States over, then they get stopped because of the tire pressure. That's nothing that I done. Like I was, Hey man, make sure you do this. Mm-hmm. But that incentive program, it makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, it makes a whole lot of sense, especially around the holidays. You have some drivers, they purposely try to get stopped. Cause you look up, they get stopped three or four times in one week. And then, and it's all level ones. That's $500 bonus on a check. Damn, how, bonus. How, you, how you purposely get stopped? What you got to mm-hmm. do? Basically, you can walk up to DLT and, you know, drive up on them, you know, find a scale, especially when you riding these highways and you know, like you may go on, just say you're going southbound, right? And you see the northbound scales open. And then all of a sudden, you circle around. Like, man, I'm finna, I'm finna go and dip back around, go northbound. <laughs> so I could purposely pull through the scale, get that $300, and then circle back around, go back south. You got people to do that. <laughs> and you look up every week, they get an extra three to $500 on their check because they're getting stopped. Damn. And then get Yeah, finessing the system. Man. <laughs> hey, if you a truck driver, if you ain't no. <laughs> yeah, finesse the system. <laughs> hey, that's hard. Yep. That's pressure. So you got into the industry with your brother. Like, what did expanding in that look like? Me, I just wanted to expand as far as actually educating people. Mm-hmm. You know, especially when I started seeing a lot of us started really, really jumping in trucking through social media. So I felt that it was a need to really, really educate the people. First-hand experience, me actually... Um, you know, being involved in getting my teaching from the actual government and stuff like that. So I just wanted to really, really just educate the people. And so, but far as expanding, I started having a lot of friends and family that wanted to get into trucking. So I just started helping them, you know, get into trucking and opening their own businesses and growing from there. So with that, like, what's the outlook on the industry? Because I know it's some crazy stuff that's coming, especially with Biden. Yeah, like, especially with Biden and some of the regulations that they're trying to pass on uh, just like the whole energy sector and like coal and all of this, like what's some of the things that people who, if they're wanting to get in this industry that they should start to think about for the future. If you want to get into this industry, you need to develop a team, figure out who you can get to help you actually run that company. And I say, give or take, you know, two to four people starting off. And then from there, get educated. Don't just jump in, educate yourself on the regulations, understanding what is required of you to actually run a company. Trucking is one of the only industries where I see people get in and they just disregard that you got, you got compliance that you have to obey by, you have to follow. You know, you get into the health, home health industry, what happened? They say that you have to, you know, compliance is a big thing in that industry, right? But you know, paperwork and all that. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, people get into the truck and they don't even think about that at all. So educate yourself, find you a mentor, somebody that's actually doing trucking and done it at a high level. You know what I'm saying? And that's one thing that helped me out is the fact that I was dealing with old school, been old school people that have been in it in 25 and 30 years. 
that own 15, 20, and 30 trucks. You know, people that drove for companies that won, you know, that drove over a million miles and never had an accident. They was a safety person within that company, or they help people and coach people to having a successful trucking company. So just make sure you put yourself around people that actually doing it. Like, don't just listen to somebody tell you what they've done. Physically see that they own those trucks, that they have an actual company, that they got an actual team of people, you know what I'm saying? They got five and six employees or drivers and all that. Physically see that. Don't sit back. Ask me, is it okay if I can come to your establishment? Because there's nothing like firsthand experience. You go to the establishment and then you see that, hey, they really legit. They got 30 trucks. They got 30 drivers. They got cousins that do the HR. They got, you know, mother that do this, you know. So physically see what people are doing. Don't just see some stuff saying that's on social media. I ask people like, yo, can I fly out to your facility? I'll come to your facility and show me firsthand what you're doing daily before you actually just allow somebody to mentor you, before you actually take your hard on money and buy information. Stuff like that, man. Just literally find the people that specialize in stuff that's actually doing it. And then from there, you dive in or you ask for mentorship. Hey. Keys Great. To the yeah, gems, gems. Keys to the game, my brother. Eric, man, this has been a great time. You've been giving game on this compliance part. I got to learn a lot with this. Jalen, you got any other questions? I just wanted you to repeat the website that they can go to if they would like to start looking into and start learning about it. Cause I ain't gonna lie. I don't remember the acronym, but I know you got it. FMCSA. If you can Google FMCSA, you can follow me on social media on IG. I post a lot, a lot of great content at truck estates with S T R U C K E S T A T E S truck estates. And we're going to have it down in the show notes for y'all. Eric, bro, I do have one last question for you. We're going to pivot to the last segment of our show. This is one of our favorite segments. So we want to ask you, man, what's on your timeline? What's something you see on social media, the news, anything that you just want to speak on? It could be anything, my brother. Man, good question. Good question. Um, I love the fact of how Black America are making themselves more educated as far as when it comes to money, you know, financial literacy. When it comes to just betting on itself, how you do see a lot of people encouraging one another through social media platforms, a lot of positive energy on social media platforms. Admire that. I really, really like it. But then at the same time, I'm like, reality ain't just so gravy neither. Mm-hmm. So it's just one of the things like that. You know, I may post 10 positive feeds, but then I'm going to throw some negative in there because that's just a part of life. It's not that I'm negative, but I just want to try to be authentic as I can with people that saying that's out here. And I just say that if you got a platform, man, really, really use it, especially when you got a big following. People believe in you. People trust your word, your judgment. And you may be getting over if you are utilizing your platform wrong, but God, he see what you're doing. And if you lose it all one day, if you get sick or somebody die in your family, and just understand that God going to make you feel that pain that somebody else didn't felt because you did them wrong by using a platform that he gave you he gave you to use that platform in his name, not your name. Now that's a gem. I got to hit it. Message. Man, I appreciate you, brothers, man. Hey, man I appreciate hey, you. appreciate you, my brother. And like what you just said, though, that's real facts. Like a lot of people, they'll build up these platforms and stuff. They just 
oh, I just need to get however many followers. I just want the swipe up link so I can do all of this. But they do it for the wrong reasons instead of really just being a resource and really helping people out. I also like the idea of sharing not all just the, the pretty. Yeah, the pretty side. Everything ain't pretty. No, life ain't sweet. It ain't. <laughs> Everybody that's listening to this know life ain't sweet. You have good days, you got bad days. Everything go the same way. Man, ups and downs. My mm-hmm. day was started off terrible, oh, this, y'all. This guy's having a terrible day. And I ain't even gonna lie to you. I, mean, I, I ain't really say nothing, but some tough shit happened to me today. Right. But it's all good. We gotta keep it pushing. Hell uh, yeah. Yeah, Eric, my brother, like we were saying, we appreciate you. Once again, can you give the people your information so they can follow you on social media, tap in with you if they're interested in getting the compliance services from you? Can you let them know how they can get with you, my brother? You can email me at truckestateonline at gmail.com, truckestateonline at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at truckestate, truckestates with an S. Right now, I'm in the process of getting my website redone and in due time, and it'll be back up and functioning. But right now, if you want to get with me about compliance or whatnot, I have a link on my page where you can schedule a one-on-one, book a one-on-one with me. And then from there, I will see how I can best serve you. If I can't serve you, I will tell you. I'm not about taking your money. I would tell you, like, look, you already know what you're doing. Let me give you these three or four gems to add to what you got going. And send somebody else to me that may you be able to utilize me because you're doing well at what you do. I kind of do like an assessment of the people and then send them on about their business. If I feel that, they don't need my services. Like, hey, don't waste your money. You don't need my services. Can't just be about getting the dollar. It's all about helping the people, man. Right. Once again, my brother, thank you. Thank, thank you, you. Yeah, for coming on this thing, Definitely want to say gonna, thank you. We're going to hop into a couple of house cleaning items, wrap this thing up. Once again, everybody, thank y'all for listening to the Black Wolf Renaissance podcast. Thank you for tuning in week in, week out. Y'all rocking with us. Leave a rating and review. Jalen, what you got for him, man? Man, y'all definitely tap into the podcast's playbook. It is our new course we just released. We've been doing this for two years now. So if y'all been listening to us, y'all know how we started off. Y'all know how terrible our audio quality was from the beginning. Y'all know like what really happened. But uh, throughout this process, I just really put in all of the information that we learned. Uh, We bought equipment that we shouldn't have bought and some things that we didn't need to do. But I put all of that into this course just so you don't have to make some of these mistakes and really just help you understand and learn about the podcasting industry. I'll be teaching you how to monetize, edit, market, and really just make a great podcast. So y'all definitely, definitely tap into that. Get it below link in the show notes. Yeah. Y'all go listen to episode one if y'all haven't. My brother is not lying. Our audio was terrible. Ooh, Jesus. Oh, that was bad. We done came a long way. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> what, was, what was that movie with uh, Terrence Howard? Uh, you talking about uh, Hustling Flow? Hustling and Flow. <laughs> they had the Hustling and Flow going on. Nah, for real, though. <laughs> it, was, it was bad. <laughs> but yeah, y'all, on that note, this is David with Black Lord Renaissance signing out. Peace. I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my lot unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper. All I know is run money marathon. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. 
Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.